your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter number 19. We're going to start there. We'll be in a few different places this evening. Matthew chapter 19. So glad you're here. I know many of our folks are doing extra things with their dads tonight and things. I appreciate you being here. And uh, I hope that we'll be encouraged by God's Word. Our theme this year is unity of the fellowship. And uh, on occasion in the last little while on Sunday nights, I've been looking at things that uh, could harm that fellowship, that unity. And tonight, that same kind of thread uh, of a message I want to look at tonight, uh, and I think it's uh, both in our, we have to watch out in our assembly, in all assemblies, all churches, and Christianity in general, is that troubling trends in Christianity. I believe that the local church can be and should be an awesome place, a place of lives changed through Jesus Christ, Amen. That's what I believe the church should be, and I'm glad to see that it happens. And I hope you're praying that it continues. I am, and that our church would be that kind of church. And folks are getting saved, and uh, people are getting baptized and discipled and growing in their faith. That's that's the mission. That's mission. If we're not doing that, we're not doing the mission. And uh, that's what we should be doing. But sadly, there's churches today, uh, churches that would call themselves independent Baptists like us, or Baptist churches like us today, uh, that are little or no growth. They're shrinking. And I believe some of the reasons that churches are not growing and Christianity is not having the influence it should have or could have in our world is because of some of these trends we're going to look at. And these trends are not found... In just the younger generation, is he? Man, we're really good at the blame game, aren't we? You know, uh, it's uh, someone was talking to me uh, recently about becoming the senior pastor here, and they said, "What's what's the biggest chain?" Is like uh, the biggest chain is that it doesn't go any further up, and the, the buck stops here. You know, uh, when Pastor Tisa was here, and I didn't know what to do, or there was a trouble. It's like, hey, Pastor Tisa, you got to take care of this. Uh, so we're always, well, that's just nature, though. We're just trying to pass it along, right? We're not taking responsibility on occasion. So these trends are not found just exclusively in the younger generation. And I can't say they're not found in the in other generations that are older either. I think it's a, a trend that we all have to watch out for. And these things are so easy to take place. And uh, we need to watch out and be on guard or it will trouble us as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, I've, I've been referring to the uh, rich young ruler numerous times in Sunday morning. I just want to look at a couple of verses here, and then we're going to move into our points. Uh, Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 21, And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another time uh, you have given to us. Lord, allow me to be a blessing and encouragement to these dear folks. Your word, Lord, allow me to preach it with power and truth. And Lord, help us to be concerned about living the way that we need to and, and bucking the trends that are around us or that are not biblical. Lord, help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. The first troubling trend is dependency on things, or you could say dependency on materialism. That's a trend today in Christianity. Uh, before we dive too far in here, let me give you what the word dependence means. It means reliance, confidence, trust, 
resting on. So the proper interpretation of the scripture, right, is that that uh, that rich young ruler had a problem with his wealth. He came to Jesus asking about salvation. So he wasn't saved, okay? He d- did not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and again, we've looked at this on Sunday morning recently, so I'm not going to go diving through all of it again. Uh, but Jesus tells him that, hey, get rid of your wealth, you know, sell and give to the poor, and thou shalt treasure in heaven and come follow me. Uh, so the the key wasn't to sell all his wealth and he'd be saved. He's trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. But the Lord was putting pressure on that nerve that he knew existed. And that man loved his riches. So that's the interpretation of the Scripture. Now let me make an application. You know, I am not surprised at all when I see people in the world who are uh, dependent or relying upon things of this world. I'm not surprised when I see a lost person who's chasing materialism. It doesn't surprise any of us because that's the way the lost would act. That's the way the lost would think. And by the way, the word material, I found this out recently and it's a a really good thing to know. That word material means consisting of matter, not spiritual. Let me give it to you again. Consisting of matter, not spiritual. So by its very definition, materialism is the opposite of spiritual. So we need to watch out that we are not falling into that trend in in what's happening. We're supposed to live spiritually. We need to be living that way. So if we're chasing materialism, hey, let's be honest, it's super easy to do that in our Western society today. Let's be really honest here this evening. It's super easy to get into that mold. If we do that, we're chasing after the wrong things. We're not living spiritually. We're living materially. And that's opposite of spiritually. So, so what business does a, a believer have to be tending on the materials of this world? Well, we don't have any business doing it. We need to be depending upon God. Amen. That's where our dependence needs to lie. And now, don't for a minute think I'm getting all fired up that you shouldn't have anything, that you need to sell all your houses and we all need to camp out around the church. I'm not talking about that. You know, I'm glad that you have a nice home and uh, that you have a vehicle to get to church this evening or you have enough money to use uh, uh, to get here by public transportation, whatever. There's nothing wrong with things. It's, again, the idea is that when we are slaves to the things, you know, we need to watch out for that. I mean, we know that uh, chasing materialism is not going to bring us joy, right? We know that? I mean, it's going to, we might be able to buy some things that make us feel good for a few minutes and we'll be all right, but real joy comes in serving Jesus. And that's not cliche, folks. That's the truth. It's absolutely, it comes from serving Jesus. And uh, there's so many Christians today who have been sold a bill of goods, I think, if I work a little bit overtime and maybe the weekends and get a few more chances at promotion and get enough cash, then I'll be happy. You're chasing the wrong thing. You're going down the wrong path. Now, I've got good news for you. You can change the path, amen? You can come back to the Lord and do what's right. But you're chasing the wrong thing. And to have more than the guy next to you on the block or in the pew, that's total foolishness. That's a worldly philosophy That should not be part of our Christian life. But I'm telling you right now, there's a whole lot of people, a whole lot of Christians today who are living that way. This sermon was born out of 
friends of mine who I went to Bible college with who got out of the ministry and they're doing this right now. So don't think for a minute that, oh, no, that doesn't... Yes, it happens. And it can sneak in on us real quick where we say, well, I'll, I'll just miss uh, this opportunity to serve and I'll just miss this Sunday and uh, you know, I'll be okay. And you know, long before, it won't be long, I should say, after that, you're not going to church at all. I've seen it hundreds of times now. That, you know, just a little bit more, a little bit more. There's, if, you, if you're chasing money, there's never enough. There's never enough. You, you will never have enough. And it's a, it's a shame, it's a waste that, you know, we should live that way. We, we'd rather serve the materials than serve the Creator. So it's a trend that we need to watch out for, that just that chasing of dependence upon materialism. God's not pleased. Look over in Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. And verse 25, we'll start reading the verse number 25. Dependence upon materialism. And the second one is a lack of communication. <coughs> a lack of communication. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking of a man truth with his neighbor, for your members one of another, be angry, sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, without which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. But be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. This is a second trend that I see happening and observing Christianity, and it's disturbing, and it's not right. It's totally contrary to the Word of God, and that's the lack of communication among the brethren. Just, I mean, just talking. I mean, the word lack means to want, to be destitute of, not having, not to have, or possess. That truly is what is occurring amongst many Christians today where we're destitute of communication skills. And maybe it's because of the generation we live in. We spend more time on the this, right? And we don't do talking one to another. This is so much less or so much easier than this. You know, this takes time to think and this doesn't seem to take any time. You make lots of mistakes and you wish you hadn't texted that. But the reality is we just have a lack of communication. And the word communication means the act of imparting, conferring, or delivering from one to another knowledge, opinions, or facts. We need to be bringing that together. And I've seen this happen so many times. So I've really started to believe that some Christians go to soap operas to learn how to communicate. Because they do it so incorrectly. They don't follow the Bible, I guarantee you right now. They're not following what the biblical mandate is for us how to communicate and how we're supposed to solve problems. And obviously, uh, daytime soap operas is not where you should be watching anyway. Uh, the idea is that you need to be going to God's Word to find out, how do I communicate with somebody? How do I get things the way it needs to be? We're to speak truth to our neighbor. Now, this passage of Scripture, the one I looked at earlier in Matthew, is talking about a man who needed to be saved. Paul is writing to the Ephesians. He's writing to the church. This is a church full of people who are supposed to be saved, Right? 
So the reality is these things do happen. He talked about putting away lying and stealing. So it did occur in the congregation there, those things, and he's trying to get it right. And he's telling them that we need to communicate. We need to speak truth to our neighbor. And then, uh, that, that definitely is an application to our next-door neighbor, right? I mean, definitely. You know, I'm out mowing my grass, and my next-door neighbor says, have you seen my kid today? And I'm like, no, when he's inside my house, that's lying, right? You know, the idea is that we need to speak truth to our neighbor for sure, but we need to speak truth to other believers, amen? We need to be speaking the truth. I'll be honest, I've been affected by Christians who have tried to deceive me in conversations or have lied about events that took place. I'm like, why? Why would you do that? I mean, we're all in this thing together. And listen, I'm not saying that because I never make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time, but... The Word of God tells us that this is how we're supposed to communicate. Wherefore, putting away lying. Every man, uh, speak, to, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. That's us. That's the church, folks. They're members one of another. We want to have unity of the fellowship. We need to put away that kind of conversation. We, we, not, we should not be in, in want of conversation. We have communication. We need to have it. We're take care of our problems in a quick fashion. In verse number 26. Be angry, said not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Uh, so take care of your problems quickly. If there is a problem, you you make haste to get it taken care of. You know, if you if you uh, drive down the road and your car starts to do all kinds of funny things with the steering wheel, you make haste to the garage. If you don't think you should, let me tell you, you need to. Okay. If that's the case, you get to the garage right away. If there's something going on between you and another believer, there's a lack of communication, there's something that's bringing strife, don't say, well, I'll just wait that out. Disasters happen that way. If I kept driving my car and my wheel's doing all these kind of funny things, I don't think it's a big deal. All of a sudden, my wheel comes off of my hand. Something bad's going to happen, isn't it? You know, I might kill somebody. I might kill myself. I might kill someone in the car. And at the very least, there's going to be an accident. So, folks, if there's an issue, there's some sort of conflict going on, get taken care of. Don't wait. Don't, don't wait and, you know, hold on to problems. I, th- I think we uh, have been fooled again in this area that if, if I just hold on to this problem, I'll probably solve it all by myself. Listen, we need God's grace, just like that song was sung earlier. We need God's grace to help us with every problem that we have. Uh, so trying to fix it ourselves ends up in bigger messes. So go get taken care of. Do you really think holding on to a problem for days and weeks and months and years is going to make it better? That's foolishness. That's going to happen to you is if you do it that way, you hold on to those things, you'll become not better, you'll become bitter. And you've got to watch out for that because that will eat you alive. And people aren't going to be around to be around you because you're going to show that all around you. So we need to take care of problems real quick. We need to make sure we have the right kind of conversations. In verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use and edifying, that, that it may minister grace unto the, the hearers. So our talk should be uplifting. Amen? It should be. That should be our desire, that when we get together, that we're uplifting each other. We're, we're, we're saying the truth, and, and we're speaking it with love, and, and we're, we're just there trying to encourage each other around uh, up to serve the Lord. It's never 
if you're if your people, you know, the people you hang around with, if all they do is trample trample other Christians, you need a new people. In a sense that you need to find a new group to hang around with because that's not what we're ever called to do. You understand that God can trample all of us because we're all sinners saved by grace? You know, the reality is none of us are good. No, not one. And we have no business taking people, fellow brothers and sisters, and trampling on their feet with our, with our words. That conversation is useless and it's very harmful. And sadly, it happens a lot today. Don't, don't, don't let it be said amongst you. Say, I won't. Now, I understand there's times when conversations need to be had that are not easy, that are not enjoyable, but we can do it in such a way that we can uplift the individual who has erred or whatever the case is and lift up the situation. We don't have to be mean and nasty. That, that we're not, there's times, I understand there's times when you have to stand for truth. I totally get it. But we can do that in a loving way. We can do it in a loving way. Verse number 31 tells us to speak uh, tells us the no evil speaking. And it really goes into great detail there. No, that all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. Now, that evil speaking means no railing on people. Now, let's make sure our conversation is pleasant. It uplifts the Lord. It's encouraging to those around us. And the last verse there, verse 32, uh, it tells us to have that tender heart one to another. And, and sometimes... I mean, we all have to be careful because sometimes we know the truth and the truth is empowering, right? When you know the, when you found out about Jesus Christ as your Savior, that was empowering, right? It was very empowering. And you were telling people about it. And, and that's great and that's wonderful. But we got to be careful when we have the truth that we don't do in such a way that it hurts the... I mean, I know the truth will hurt the hair, but we're not the ones hurting the one who hears the message. So the idea is that we're not offensive. Let the Word of God be offended. Let that offend them. Let us do it with a loving spirit. Like, I could come into the meeting and say, uh, uh, Daniel Vicencio is not here, so that's good. He'll use him, for example. He cleans the church. And I'd come into him and say, Daniel, the church is filthy, man. What's your problem? And if the church was dirty, that would be a true statement. But you know what Daniel would feel? Pretty small, right? He wouldn't feel very good. And I don't know all the standing circumstances. But I came to him and said, Hey, Daniel, the church is a little messy today. Can I help you? Is there something that we can do to make sure it's not like this again? Which way do you think he would like to hear it? The truth. The second way, right? Not many of us get really excited when the boss comes in dropping hammers. We like to be encouraged to do what's right. And that's the idea of that tenderheartedness, that we're tender to people. Don't you find the world full of cold people? I certainly do. And they find out I'm a minister, they, they turn on the nice factor. I understand that. But a lot of people in the world don't care. Let's show the world that, we, that Jesus cares. Amen. And we can do that through our conversation. We need to watch out for our conversation. We need to make sure that we're not having that lack of communication. Look over in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. I made sure the air conditioning was lower, but it just couldn't keep up today with the heat. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, I know it's warm in here. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 24. <clears throat> By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction 
with the people of God to enjoy, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Another troubling trend I see in Christianity today is dependence on pleasure. Dependence on pleasure. Now, I'm not opposed to pleasure. The word pleasure means agreeable sensation or emotion, excitement, relish, or happiness produced by enjoyment or the expectation of good. So the, the word is, and the, what it is, is not wrong. A few years ago, I guess it was about four years ago, I had the, the privilege to go to Vancouver. It was in June, and the weather was absolutely fantastic. I mean, it was like 20 degrees, 19 degrees every day. It was sunny. It never rained. Unbelievable for Vancouver. I was blown away. I was there for like, uh, I guess it was four or five days. I was gone for a bit longer than that altogether. But in that part of uh, B.C., I got to enjoy Vancouver, walk all over the place. Uh, I think I went to Whistler that time and uh, met up some old friends. It was a pleasure to be in Vancouver. Is that wrong? Absolutely not. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the scenery. Uh, There was uh, agreeable sensations. I got to see the mountains. I got to eat lots of Mexican food. I mean, that was agreeable to me. I loved that. You know, lots of good things. And so pleasure is not wrong. It's the dependence on pleasure that's wrong. That's the wrong part of it. And and remember that word dependence, it means a, a confidence, a trust, or reliance upon. I'm relying on this to get me through. Don't you find that that's in our world today, that the world is relying on pleasure, entertainment, to get them through the next day? That's their reliance. That, that they're relying on you. And the world, that's their tactics. And the Lord expects those who reject Him to live that way. But shouldn't we be dependent upon the Lord, Christian, rather than pleasure? And listen, there's not, again, we do have pleasurable times and they're great, they're wonderful. But we don't live. We, we don't. I don't, I don't get up in the morning and say, "Oh, I need to do something pleasurable." I, if not, I'm going to lose my mind. I, I won't have a good day if I don't have some pleasure. No, I need to be dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so should us as individual believers be the same way. Moses refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter. So he refuses. A very prominent place, doesn't he? He could have got anything he wanted. He had access to just about anything that Egypt had to offer. He was ready. I mean, he, he could have had all of it. And sadly, uh, he, well, good for him, he said no, but sadly, you know, if it was given to some Christians the option, they'd say, yes, I'd rather, I, I, I would love to be the child of some famous singer or actor. What? I've actually heard Christians say that. And it was never for the intended purpose that I could reach someone for Jesus Christ. It's all about having the money or the things that they get to do. We've got to watch out for that attitude. We've got to make sure that we're dependent upon Jesus Christ. Now, Moses chose to suffer affliction. means maltreated and not treated as he should have been. He chose that over the pleasures of Egypt. And those pleasures would have been pretty much world class. He couldn't get much better. The best that money could buy. Uh, uh, and sadly, a lot of Christians have come to this point of saying this, if it doesn't make me happy, I ain't doing it. That's the world's philosophy. That should never be ours. 
There's going to be things that God's going to call you to do that you're not going to like. But you keep following. You need to be dependent upon Him, right? You've got to watch out for that. That should never be the model of the. That's the model of the world, but that would never be the the mode of operations for a Christian. And the last one is the lack of commitment. Troubling trends in Christianity is the lack of commitment. And the lack of commitment is really a fact, a reality in our society, is it not? I mean, it's all around us. Uh, this, this, this trend is affecting every church of every denomination of any size. It doesn't matter what. There's a lack of commitment. And I really believe it's tied to the other things I mentioned. I think it's tied to trusting materialism rather than being committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's part of it. Uh, they're dependent on his pleasures to make them happy uh, and give them meaning for life rather than looking to Jesus Christ so he would be the way, the truth, and the life. So I think it goes hand in hand <coughs> and then trusting riches and materialism. We need, we need to be willing to sacrifice for Jesus. Amen? Be willing to give. I just, I'm going to give you a story here of some things that have happened in our lives, and I don't believe that I am some great... Uh, sacrifice or anything. But at the time, these were big for me. So that's why I want to let you know. In 19, uh, I had a 1972 Malibu Chevelle when I was uh, 18 years old. My, my dad helped me buy it, and my dad owns a garage, like I mentioned this morning, and the mechanic was there, and he helped fix it all up. And Man, it was awesome. I loved that car. I mean, it was the family car of 1972, but boy, it could go. I mean, I, I, I hit the gas in that thing and it could fly, but then I could hear the, I could actually see the needle going, like that as I hit the gas. It was just, it just sucked back the gas, but it was such a beautiful car. It was so nice. You know, back then the, the gas was 68 cents a liter. Well, we'd love to see that again, but anyway. And I knew that I was, need to go to Bible college. And I knew I wasn't driving that big old beast up here. And I sold it. You might be saying, oh, pastor, that's no big deal. It was a big deal to me. At that time, that, that was my way to getting around. That was my freedom. And that's something that I worked hard for. And I, I sold it. I didn't get a lot of money. You never get a whole lot of money in the car industry in the sense of fixing up and selling it. But I got some money, and it really helped me go forward. And, and I surrendered to the Lord. And... You know, I worked hard, and the Lord blessed. I didn't have much of anything when I finished Bible school, and including I had no school debt. The Lord blessed. I could have said, no, I'm going to keep that car. And I watched guys do this in Bible college. They kept the car, and they sunk so much money into that thing, and, it, man, it just blew apart for them. You know, trusting the Lord is better than trying to hold on to things. Trust the Lord. You know, just give God credit. You know, I watched the Lord provide for my family. And so uh, the Lord moved us from Ontario when we first got married to Newfoundland. And we were excited about that. I don't know my wife was terribly excited about it at first, but she got excited about it. And uh, because we were first going to stay in Hamilton for a while, but the Lord opened the door real quick for us to move back. And uh, I, I remember the pastor phoned me and said, I'm, I'm going to give you $1,000 to move back to Newfoundland. <clears throat> You know, when you're a Bible college student, a thousand dollars like a million. I was like, a thousand dollars! Wow! 
And I get on the phone, like, honey, or actually I told my wife, I said, get on the phone and see it at the cheapest deal. I mean, we probably could go out and get a nice meal too on the way home. This is going to be great. You know, the cheapest person who would move my stuff, my junk, which I didn't have very much of, was $3,500. That was the cheapest. And it didn't take me long. My math skills are not the greatest, but I understood I was in a deficit position already. All right? And I'm like, how is this going to work? And we prayed and said, Lord, you call us there. You're going to have... I mean, we had no money. You know, I was working for a temp agency and uh, they called me twice to go do garbage truck man. And that was the last of my garbage truck man duties, okay? It was horrible. But at any rate, we had no money. We were pretty much broke. Living on love, right? Living on love. And uh, come to find out that someone says, hey, I'll move your stuff for free. I mean, the Lord does that, right? When you just follow Him, when you say, I'm willing to commit, I'm, I'm willing to follow you, and the Lord just provides. I think of missionaries who sailed from North America to different places in the world, and they left everything behind, never thinking they will ever see that country again, where they're from, see their families again. They just went. They just went. They were leaving everything behind and prepared to die in the mission field, and many of them did. So they sacrificed all I, I like, uh, I've read numerous books about C.T. Studd. And, uh, listen, he had great access to position and to wealth. And he was, he was a superstar athlete in that day and age. And he gave it all up to serve Jesus. And he wouldn't, if he could stand before us, he was not even sacrificed, it was worth every bit of it. But in the, in the, in the world's eyes, like, you sacrificed all that for, for nothing. You know, he ministered in China, and then in India, and then in Africa. He died in 1961 in Africa. He gave it all up. Moses, uh, you know, life teaches us about sacrifice, doesn't he? He said, I'm not, I'm not going to partake. And I think of his protege many years later in Joshua 24, verse 15. He said, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will love whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the god of the Amorites, and is whom land ye dwell. But, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know if there's a place in heaven that I can watch the Bible. I hope it is, because I want to see that. I want to see Him stand before the nation of Israel and declare that to them. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We, we, need, we need Christians today to stand up and say the same thing as Joshua says. For me and my house, we're going to serve Jesus Christ. We're going to do what's right. Now, sadly, there's so many today saying, as for me and my house, we'll do as we wish. We'll do as we wish. Folks, don't, don't, don't develop a lackadaisical attitude about serving Jesus Christ. There has to be some commitment. And I would encourage you to be very committed. I would encourage you to be all in in serving Jesus. Don't stop. Don't, don't take your foot off you know, and say, oh, no, I won't do it. I'll do whatever I want. You know, I, I, I've seen friends and, and fellow pastors who have you know, gone to the wayside, different things, the things I've mentioned, other things as well. 
Don't stop serving Jesus Christ. Don't stop. We need our lights burning greater now than ever before. Ever before. I met a pastor while on deputation while we were raising money to go to Deer Lake to start the church there. Uh, we, I met this pastor. And I didn't meet him, or I should say I met him or went to his church, and I'll never forget him. Not, I didn't forget him, I'll never forget him because he was so famous or that he was such, had such a great personality or you know, he had those one of the great jokes or anything like that. No, none of those reasons. He was the pastor of a small church in Beulah, North Dakota. Beulah has about 4,000 people in it, and it's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I'm not even sure how we quite got there in time and got to that meeting. It was a Wednesday night. But it is out there. And went to his church, had a great service. There was probably... I don't know, 30 people there on that Wednesday night. Not very big. and never will be with a town of 4,000 people. It's just not going to be a huge church. But before the service, we sat down with the pastor and his wife in a humble home. And uh, we had supper. And it was great. Great time of fellowship. Great time of chatting. And uh, I asked the, the pastor, he was in his 50s, I said, uh, where are you from? Because he definitely wasn't from North Dakota because he sounded like he, he just came from the South. You know, and he said, uh, I'm from Tennessee. I'm not going to try to speak how they speak in Tennessee because I'm sure I'll slaughter that. But he, he, and I said, uh, I said, well, that's a long way from here. Why'd you come to North Dakota? You know, I mean, it's, there's really nothing here. You know, it's just a few little towns in this part of North Dakota. And he responded. I was in a big church in the south, he said. There was eight guys in my church who were ordained ministers of Jesus Christ, and none of us were doing anything. Eight. He said, the Lord got a hold of my heart. I knew it was called to preach. And he said, I found out about this church. I came to this church. I candidate for this church, and they voted me. They had been without a pastor for a while before he showed up. You know, he'll never be asked to preach. And he's out of the ministry now. He's retired from what I understand. I did try to follow up with him and things. He'll never be asked to be preaching in some big conference, but I'm going to guarantee you, he was committed. In his 50s, when he should be sitting back for the last quarter of his life, he was, I'm not sitting back. i got work to do for Jesus Christ. He was committed. And I assure you, he made a sacrifice because all his family was in Tennessee. And he was in North Dakota. All his grandbabies was in Tennessee. All his kids were in Tennessee. And he was in North Dakota day in, day out, serving Jesus Christ. Making a difference. That church is still in existence today. That church is actually growing some today. I found out about it just recently. I checked in just to see how it was going. Praise the Lord, I really believe, because a man like him stood in the gap. And so I'll be willing to stand here and I'll be willing to serve this church the best I can with my humble abilities. I'll serve Jesus. I'm going to tell you, every time I think about that story, I feel a little bit convicted. That we can get really complacent and say, oh, I'm just going to lay back here. Folks, these troubling trends of Christianity will not fade away. I don't think it's just because we live in 2000 that it happened. No, I think it was happening long before this. And the reality is, It'll become greater and greater if we don't deal with it. 
if we just don't make up in our minds, I'm going to stand for truth. I'm going to do what's right. And if and we got to watch out for it because it's going to try to infiltrate our minds. That materialism, because you got to watch out for it because you live in the world, you're, you're doing your job, and you're going to hear about it. You're going to get bombarded from different areas, right? You're going to hear about it. And, and I'll be honest, sometimes I see that guy with a nice boat, I'm sometimes like, man, I'd like to have a nice boat too. Is a boat bad? No, it's not. But I got to watch out for it because I can't be serving those things, right? If the Lord blessed me with it, praise the Lord. He knows. Uh, but the reality is, we need to watch out for those those infiltrating thoughts. And no one person and no church is immune from these things. And we need to make sure that we're we're battling these trends and we're giving no place for them. We're going to say no. No. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be in the column of not committed. I'm going to be in the column of I'm sacrificing. I'm moving forward for Jesus Christ. You got to watch out for. It. You got to make those determinations in your life because if you don't make a plan, you're going to fail the plan. You're going to fail, right? If you have no plan, you're going to fail. Just make a plan that I'm going to live this way, and I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. Now I'm so glad to let you know that we can battle these trends through the power of our Savior. He's greater than all these things that I mentioned this evening. And He can give us the victory. That's not to say that we can't, uh, we're not going to get tempted or anything, but He'll give us the victory to overcome them. We don't have to fall to the troubling trends of Christianity. We can stand as a beacon and we can show folks in our community that there's the unity of the fellowship in our church because we're standing for truth. And we're going to continue to stand with the help of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.